There are three types of Christians here this morning. There are always three types of Christians uh, gathering when the, the church gets together. It's the way it's been from the book of Acts on. The first type of Christian we want to call the phantom Christian. Now, the, the phantom Christian is one that if you were to follow them around, you were to take notes on what they say and what they do, how they live their life, how they spend their money or their time, their values, you wouldn't find a shred of evidence that says that they're a Christian. And when you ask them, they might whisper in, in your ear, yeah, yeah, I, I love Jesus. Don't tell anybody, you know, but, but their, their field is, 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 I mean, their field is, is fruitless. It's a desert. You see, the, the phantom Christians. Name only. Then there's another kind of Christian. This is the, the hot air balloon Christians. These are guys that when you see from a distance, their faith looks bigger than life. They inspire awe in us. And oh my goodness, it's incredible. And would you look at that? But as we get closer to them, we notice that there's just not a whole lot on the inside. Nothing but hot air. And we know that ah, these are the hot air balloon Christians uh, look better on the outside than what's going on on the inside. There's also, though, a third type of Christians. These we want to call the solid oak Christians. You don't mean a whole lot of these. Now, these folk most certainly uh, have fulfilled their quota of messing up. They're not perfect by any means. But the closer you get to them, the more respect you have for them spiritually. The closer you get to them, the more you long and desire to know God like they do. Now, that's the category I want to be in, and my assumption is you do as well. And so you might ask yourself, okay, how do you get in that category? How do you reach a, a, a level of spiritual maturity and, and spiritual growth where you, where you are there? And so you might try to figure it out. Maybe you've gone to the conference and you've read the books and you've listened to the tapes or CDs or MP3s. And we live in a wild techno culture, don't we? And, and you, you have gone through it. You've, you've tried to figure this out and it still eludes you. And so you say, okay, I, I know, I, I wonder if the answer is you have to be zapped. You know, you, you have to have, it's a special unction from God. And, and he just kind of gives you this experience. And, and maybe you're looking for it, maybe you're not. But, but you're now on a quest for a lightning strike and you're praying for it. And you can't figure it out because you really want it. But God, has it struck you? And so maybe it's, it's a zap. I'm just going to have to wait. It's balls in God's court if I'm going to be godly. And, or maybe you say, you know, that's not it. See what it is. I've, I've, I've looked at these people. I've examined them. It's, it's, it's the fact that these guys grew up in, a, in the right family. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. These are guys that, that they might go through different things and different issues in life. But at the end of every 30 minutes, they are happy and smiling and they've learned their lessons and they're better off for it. And they've got the perfect mom and dad. This is the family where great grandma was praying for them before they were conceived. How could they lose? Right. Mom and dad's values. And, and they pushed and it was it was just a perfect environment. But you look at your life and you go, you know what? Not the way my family was. I mean, other side of the fence for me, maybe I got scars out of my family. Or, or maybe you had a good family. It was, it was good. They loved the Lord, but they weren't perfect. Or so maybe you start saying, well, okay, maybe it's not being zapped. Maybe it's not the right family. It's the right mentor. See, that's what it is. 
this is the guy, and you've heard the stories, they went to college, and they just happened to be that their roommate is a major leader with Campus Crusade, and they like crash landed in Yoda's swamp, and so, so Yoda is going to embrace them, and he's going to pour into them, he's going to teach them about the force, and how they can know it, and how they can grow and get better and stronger, but you say, you know what, I've not had such a mentor. I've not had a godly person over the years to take an interest in me and put their arms around me and pour into me. And so I guess I just lose. Now, it's interesting. The God who's in charge of experience and in charge of our family and in charge of who we cross paths with has told us that his desire for us is to grow and and, and, and to, to attain to a maturity. This is an interesting verse. Look at this. His divine power has given us, that's you, that's me, everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. You have, I have everything you need. You're not, you should not be waiting for a zap or something that, that you just got a wrong hand adult you and therefore you're never going to be. God has said you've got everything you need. Would you say that? I've got everything I need. You don't have a whole lot of confidence there, y'all. Say it like the Steelers just scored, okay? Okay, some Packer fans out there. All right, well, good. We, we do. But now, this is why this is important, because you and I are incredible excuse makers. We, we, we are, it's, it's something in our default system that if we can blame our lack of godliness on God, he didn't zap me. He gave me the wrong situation. I've got a wrong hand dealt me. Matter of fact, if you had my dealt, you wouldn't be as far along as I am. You know, we, we blame it on God. But bottom line is, we are. You are. We're great excuse makers. I want you to look at the person next to you and say, you are a great excuse maker. Say that right now. Go for it. Not with a whole lot of passion now. And then say to that same person, say, and so am I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So am I. We have an ability to make excuses, but but here's the deal. If we're going to grow this year, we cannot have this mindset that says it's in God's court. I have nothing to do with it. I'm just waiting. I'm a victim of my circumstances, my situation. When he has said, no, you've got everything you need. Don't be an excuse maker. So if you open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter one, we're going to look at an aspect this morning. So we've been going through a, a plan for, for how to grow. We're going to look at an aspect this morning that's in Mark chapter one. As you're turning there, let me give you a little um, background on the, on the text. If, in fact, you were to open up to Matthew 1 and 2, you would find stories of wise men and angels. And if you were to go to Luke chapters 1 and 2, you would find a trip to Bethlehem and shepherds. But you go to Mark, and at the very beginning, he's bypassed all of that. He's going to start right at Jesus' ministry, just before Jesus starts to minister. But now, here's the issue. Mark's going to start with a guy by the name of John the Baptist, because here's the problem. The the people are, are... in danger of missing Jesus. Now, understand who John and Mark 1 will be talking to. He's not talking to angry, militant, atheist types. He's talking to folk who've got the right religion. He's talking to folk who've got the right theology and the right God. But the truth is this. God's been quiet for about 400 years. In their lifetime, in their dad's lifetime, in their great-granddad's lifetime. And on and on. God has not sent a prophet. He's not said a word. No miracles. 
And so they're really not expecting God to show up in their lifetime. It's just not going to happen. And Jesus is getting ready to come on the scene here. And Jesus is going to do some miraculous stuff, but they're in danger of not seeing it. Jesus is going to come on the scene and he's going to say some incredible things about grace and forgiveness and his kingdom. But they're in danger of not hearing it. And John's job, John the Baptist's job is really to wake them all up spiritually. You know, wake up. He's here. The Messiah is here. He's coming over for dinner and your house is a mess. You better clean it up. That's his, that's his task. That's what he's about. Now, on a, on a side point for a second, I, I see this and I wonder about myself. I wonder how many times Jesus has been here underneath my nose doing things, maybe incognito, but I have been so spiritually dull that I've never even seen it. I didn't know it. Maybe there were times when and he's wanted to teach me things. Maybe I've run to my time alone with them, but you know what? I, I've got to hurry, you know, so I'm running through it mechanically because I've got to hurry up and get on to the real things. And so I miss what he's got to say. And he's saying, Mark, listen, you're going to face some stuff today. You need what I've got to tell you right now, but I don't hear it. Or Mark, I'm telling you what, I know the anxiety in your heart, what you're struggling and wrestling with. You need what I've got to tell you right now, but I don't hear it. Or you've got this thing creeping in, Mark, and you're not seeing it, but it's going to take you out, but I don't hear it. Jesus is right there, but I don't see, but I don't, don't hear. I wonder about me. I wonder about you. And so, so these are the people that John is speaking to. And so in, in Mark chapter 1, it says, The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert. And this is what he's going to call Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, I spent a lot of years working with teenagers. And one of the aspects of my personal philosophy of, of, of youth ministry was, was heavy with, with retreats. And this is why. Be, because I would speak at youth group and I would pour into it and give it everything I had. And they're just kind of like, I mean, it's going over their head and they're not seeing. They're not. But for some reason, you get that same kid on a retreat and stuff just happens. And so I was heavy retreats. And so if you've gone to Promise Keepers or a woman's retreat or maybe there was a, a couple's retreat that you went to, things just happen at those, don't they? Well, why? Is the omnipresent God more there than he is here? Is it like he gets, his, he gets in the van on, on, on Friday night and then when he gets back, he gets his suitcase and his sleeping bag and leaves until the next retreat? I, I think that, that there are a couple of reasons. First of all, when folk go on retreats, they go expecting, but, but also they go uh, unplugged. It, it's like uh, if you've been to a restaurant, you've been to a store, and you've listened to the uh, that's background music they've got going. And it's always kind of playing, and quite often you, you, can't, you can't hear it real strong. But have you ever been to, to a restaurant one time? Where the, I've, been, I've been there a couple of times. This one restaurant uh, was notorious playing their music too loud. And so you're trying to meet with someone, and you're sitting across the table, and you're like screaming to each other, and so, you know, you're, you can't hear because the, the music's blasting. In our lives, we have background music. 
And it's anxieties of our, our life. It's our relationship issues. It's our friendship issues. It's work issues. It's school issues. And it's cranked to a 10. And I believe God is right there. And he's trying to speak. But we can't hear him because the music is so loud. So we go on one of these things and often we unplug the music. Maybe we leave our, our Blackberries and phones at home, God forbid. And, and we're able to listen and hear what he's been saying all along. And if you look at John, John had a retreat ministry, didn't he? And so John came. Did he go into the city? Oh, no. He was baptizing in the desert region. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. They had to leave their, their lives. They had to leave their blackberries at home. They had to leave their anxieties about stuff. And they went out for the purpose of hearing God speak. And when they did, you know what? They heard him. Now, here's the first principle. If we're going to grow this year, 2012. And that is that if you want to be spiritually sensitive, if you want to grow, you have to reduce the clutter. Reduce the clutter. Now, when any, any plan to grow strong physically, right? kind, of, kind of like me, buff. If you want to do that, uh, hopefully you don't want to. Anyway, we won't go down that road. You have a plan, right? You're going to go to the gym. You got weights. You got cardiac stuff. You have it figured out what you're going to have to add to your schedule. But if you're very serious about growth, there might be some things you need to cut out as well, right? Maybe you got to, if you really want to get healthy, maybe I need to dump the smoking. Maybe I need to get rid of the excessive drinking. Maybe, you know, uh, drinking a six-pack of Dr. Pepper every day, maybe I need to, to cut that down. Maybe I need to not go to Mickey D's as often as I want to. There's things you have to cut out. There's things you have to, to, to modify in, in your life. Likewise, spiritually. Now, I'm going to share with something with you all. And this takes lots of discernment. So please, please, please hear me on this. If you could take all of the, the events of your life, the, the activities, the things that take up your time, and put them into two different categories, okay? I'm, I'm guessing you'd have, you would have two categories. One is, is the required stuff. Now, this is... Uh, if you're the primary breadwinner at home, you've got to go to work. You don't want to go. You don't like it. You don't like your job. But you know what? Bottom line is you've got kids at home who have to eat, so you go. Maybe you've got to go to school. You're a student. You don't want to go. If you had a choice, this one's out of there. But either way, this is a required thing. You've got to do it. Maybe you've got to take care of little children or take care of aging parents. It's just the required stuff. These are things often we want to get out, but we can't get away from. And if we drop the ball here, things will, will hurt. Other people will hurt. And so we be responsible. We have to fulfill these. Then there's another category, the discretionary category. Now, this is what calls for discernment. Because so often we can get these two mixed up. There are, there are things in the discretionary category that we think are really requirements. And you know, I want to be a good parent. That's important. That's, I think that's a required thing, right? Yes, yes. But the way I'm going to interpret that is I have to be at every one of their games and recitals and practices. And I have got seven kids and they all are in five sports. And so that's a lot of practices. And so I'm no good unless I'm there. And so we've defined something that's discretionary as required, but it's not really. No one's forcing us to do that. Maybe you would say, I have to work 85 hours a week. And maybe your boss is requiring that you work 85 hours a week. And if he is, you've got another decision you have to deal with. But maybe he's not. Maybe you've just decided you want to put in extra hours because you want to get ahead in all those things. It's not, that's not wrong. 
It's just being honest with their self and saying, yeah, those extra hours are, are not required. They are discretionary, but I'm choosing to spend my time this way. That, that's, that, that's fine. That's wonderful. Sometime I would go home and I would say, Therese, uh, I just need some Dan Rather time. And that's a code word for I need to sit in front of the television and just unplug and chill out for a while and let my brain go brain dead. Because if I don't have this, I'm going to go crazy. And, and, and so Dan Rather time can be in the required uh, circle. But if I spend too much Dan Rather time, right, it kind of bumps into the discretionary. It's, it's, it's understanding. Now, you know, here's the deal. God wants some of your discretionary time. I'm not advocating that students that you ditch class to have quiet time, right? That's a required thing. God, you leave that one alone, okay? I'm not advocating that you go to work and you sneak away from your job when you're supposed to be doing it. You're on the clock so that you can have quiet time. I'm not advocating that. Don't mess with those things. But it's those discretionary things. God wants some of that time. And this is why this is important for us. Because the thing that will keep us from growing this year, number one excuse, the number one excuse. Remember, we're great excuse makers. Remember, number one excuse all the time is I'm too busy. I'm just too busy. I've got so many things going on. When, when, when I was at Moody, uh, one of the things that Moody Bible Institute requires of their students is what they call a PCM, Practical Christian Ministry. And they give you a ministry every semester that you have to do, whether it's teaching Sunday school at an inner city church or working in, in the mission or working with one of the gangs or, or going out to the burbs and do you know, visitation. They've got something that they require that you do. One of the things that I got one time was called Good Samaritan. And they, they teamed me up with, with a girl and we had to go to a senior citizen's high rise, not far, too far from Moody. And we met with Janice and we met with Janice every single week, Thursday afternoon for three hours. And we were basically Janice's slaves. And she could do how we use us however she wanted. If she wanted her apartment cleaned, we did it. If she wanted us to go to the store and buy something for her, we were there. If she wanted us to take her for a walk, we took her for a walk. Play a game, just read with me. We did it. We did it. We were Janice's slaves. Now, Janice was a neat gal. I like Janice. But she had some peculiarities about her. Janice collected some goofy things. One of the things that Janice collected were bags. I mean, she was a bag lady, right? I mean, she collected bags. She had, I'm absolutely serious, this is really true, she had literal, literally stacks and stacks of bags. And we're talking grocery sacks and sacks Fifth Avenue. So every single bag, it looks like this woman ever, ever came across, she folded it down nice and neat and she stacked them up. We had thousands and thousands of sacks, bags in her apartment. And I made the terrible mistake one time of suggesting that we throw some of, the, some of them away. Janice, we don't need, can we throw away two or three of these stacks? You know? And she looked at me like I just asked her to eat her children or something. She was like, what? Here, what, are you, what are you smoking? Don't you know? What are you, I might need these. These are important things. It's like, oh, yeah, right. I'm sorry. A stupid me. I'm sorry. All right, all right. Another thing that Janice collected, seriously, she collected cereal boxes. I don't know why, but she pulled the plastic stuff out and threw it away. And then she folded them down nice and neat. And we had stacks and stacks and stacks of cereal boxes. And you ask her, Janice, can we get rid of some of these, spirit, these cereal boxes? Oh, bad question. Not the right question. You know, it was what planet are you from? She looked at you like you were young and naive. Oh, you're so stupid because you're little. One day you'll realize these are important things and you might, might need these. We're not getting rid of the boxes. Okay, good, good. She also collected envelopes. 
Now, not normal envelopes. I mean, good ones. She collected ones that she got her bills in and everything else. She slid them open and she took the stuff out and then she saved. It looks like she collected them from everybody in the high rise because we had stacks and stacks of every number envelope, every kind of envelope. We had them all. She had them. And if you, if you suggested to her that we get rid of them. Oh, goodness. Now, a couple things about Janice. Janice was a Christian. You could, she could, she could uh, clearly give you all the details of the gospel and, and talk theology with you. Janice, it was amazing, was a, a very intelligent gal. I mean, you could converse with her about world events. If I wanted to know what was going on in the world, I'd talk to Janice. Janice, what's happening over here? She was with you. She'd let it know. Be known. Janice was a very wealthy woman. You could tell from how she dressed, her jewelry, some of the sacks from stores. I could not even imagine she had it all. She, she was a wealthy gal, but she just gave her life to some strange, strange things. Now, you and I would look at Janice and kind of laugh. Oh, oh, oh what a crazy lady. But you know what? We might be in the mirror looking, y'all, because we spend our time quite often collecting trash as well. Uh, clutter. For example, you know, I, I, I don't have time to be alone with God in his word and practicing my plan to grow. I just don't have time for that. But but I'll tell you what, I do have time to to figure out who the next guy should be voted off the island, to figure out who the, ne- the best dancer is, to figure out who the biggest loser is, to figure out who the bachelor should or should not choose, to figure out who the next idol is. I've got time for that. I don't have time for God. Clutter. You know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I, I like the Packers, right? That's, that's, that's a surprise. But the reality is this. Aaron Rodgers, sitting home today, probably is not wearing a jersey with my name on the back of it. He probably doesn't know I exist, and worse yet, he probably doesn't care. Too much pack. It's clutter. Too much steel curtain. It's clutter. (gasps) What are you saying? (laughs) Too much. Here's the key word there, too. Notice the too, too, too much. Uh, Too much uh, internet surfing, right? We can read. There's incredible stuff on the internet. You can read some fascinating articles 24-7, can't you? I've got to keep account of what's going on in the world. Too much, though, clutter. Too much texting, clutter. Too much videos, TV, clutter. Too much sports. How about this one? Too much taking care of my lawn, clutter. Too much organizing the, 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 the garage, clutter. How about this? The, the epitome of all clutter fests. Facebook, right? Too much Facebook clutter. Oh, that thing's a black hole, isn't it? You get into that and oh, man, clutter, clutter. Now, notice, no, notice about these things. I'm not saying can Facebook and unplug this. The things that Janice collected, she did not collect pornography. She did not collect bongs and drug paraphernalia. What did she collect? Boxes, envelopes, uh, bags and good things. I guess everybody needs some of those. But to the extent she collected them was to the extent that she wasted her life. Some of those things, it's not that those are bad things. Those are immoral. Those are not immoral. Those are amoral things. Uh, maybe those are helpful things. But we need to declutter. You know, my, my dining room table, I never go through deciding I'm going to clutter the dining room table. But when everyone walks through the house, they kind of just drop something on the table, Right. So you never have to figure out how you're going to make it cluttery. You have to stop once in a while and declutter the thing, don't you? 
I mean, you got to stop and say, okay, this thing is, how did this happen? I don't know, but it's time to clean it off. Maybe this is what we need to do with our lives right now. Maybe we need to stop and declutter because we're not going to have time to put in any kind of plan for spiritual growth if we really have so much time, if our time is all cluttered up, if it's all of our discretionary time is filled. We're going to be no sleep, and we're going to point to that and say, and see, I don't have time to read. I don't have time to be alone with God. I don't have time to serve. I'll be out there working with the children, but I just can't because I don't have time. Let me do this. Take out a pencil or pen right now and take out your bulletin. Find your bulletin and that one page that you haven't written on in 200 years, that one that says sermon notes. Find that page right now. And a pen or pencil. Go ahead, go ahead. No one's going to see this. You're not going to hand it in. We're not going to be graded on this thing. Don't And I want you to list in your life, might be different from the person sitting next to you, some things from your discretionary circle. And I'm not saying these things are clutter. And I'm not saying they're they're evil, wrong things. But they're from your discretionary circle, whether it's golf or TV, who knows what it is. And just list some things that could be clutter. Gaming, email. Could be clutter. I'm not saying they're clutter. Could be. Could get out of control once in a while. Now, as you look at your list, what do you think might be the thing, if there's going to be a thing, that keeps you from growing, that takes up your time this year? Which of those do you think might it be? Maybe there's several. Now, this one is on you. This is what you need to do. Uh, Go home and figure out how to declutter. How to get a timer, maybe, while you're on Facebook. Uh, Unplugs. Do what you have to do. You know, it's very uh, significant that that, uh, if, in fact, your table is full, the dining room table, and you just throw on it a Bible reading program, you know what? You just add to the list. You only have so much time. You're not going to be able to get it done. You might want to. You might desire it. It might, might hurt you if you can't. But you only have so much time. If, in fact, our plan to grow is going to be there, we might have to declutter. Okay, reduce the clutter. Very important. We reduce the clutter, but the second thing we have to do is remove the crud. Okay, remove the crud. Um, verse four and five. Got it. It says, so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, a couple things with this. When, when John says you need to repent, what he's saying is you need to remove the crud. It's important that we understand the difference here. Clutter is not necessarily sin, right? There's no piece of clutter that is, might be an affront to God. If it's manageable, it may be a good thing. We might need it. But when it becomes unmanageable, when it takes over our life, when it takes over our stewardship of what we're doing, suddenly it kicks into the, the sin category. So, so clutter is kind of an amoral thing. It's really designed on if it gets out of control in our life. But, but the crud, now, crud is always wrong. But are those sin things that we have to remove any amount of crud? Remember, reduce the clutter, remove the crud. Any amount of crud is wrong. You know, we, we uh, if I was to give you a plate of brownies and say, try these brownies, 
These are great. These are the best brownies in the world. They are made with a uh, 100% cocoa chocolate um, organic. And it's got uh, eggs in there that are from free-range hens with, with no uh, HMOs and GMOs and whatever else. And, and it's, got, it's got butter from grass-fed uh, cows. Okay, And, it's, and it's, 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 this, is, this is one every competition it's ever been. And these are the best-tasting uh, brownies in the world. You might say, well, well, all right, I'll take a piece. And I say, one more ingredient. See, I just threw this one in on myself. Just like a half teaspoon, not a whole lot, of arsenic. And it's not much. See, just a little bit. It doesn't, arsenic doesn't even taste. And so, you know what? You're, this can be great for you. you. You might say, whoa, whoa, hang on. Wait a moment, wait a moment. It's got some cool things in there. It's got some great stuff. But it's got enough of the, well, any of this other stuff that's going to destroy it. If we decide we're going to grow this year, and so we've got the Bible reading thing going, and we're thinking, and we're journaling, and we're praying, and we're serving, but we know there's this sin issue that we're hanging on to. It's going to offset it all, because you need the Spirit to help you grow, and He's not going to reside where known sin is. Now, I'm not saying you can't be a sinner, and you can't fall and stumble, okay? Because none of us are going to be there for this one. When you know the crud is there. And you're not going to let it go. That's not another issue. There may be crud items. Uh, could be uh, the biggies, right? Uh, you're in a relationship that you really ought not to be in. You know you ought not to be in it. Maybe you're single and all that's fine, but the person is clearly not a believer. Or maybe physically, boundaries have been crossed. You ought not to be there. Maybe you're married and you're in a relationship and you ought not to be there. Maybe just emotionally, emotional relationship. Or, or maybe the relationship is just mental. Nothing's happening out here, but in my mind. Right? It will keep you this year from growing. You can have all the good stuff you want, and you're not going to grow and look like him. Uh, now, let me, let me ask you this. Maybe none of those things come to mind. I hope not. That's wonderful. But when was the last time you were convicted of sin? And repented. That's a good question. Let's just say we broke down into small groups in here. We're not going to do it. But let's just say we broke into groups of five and you had to go around and share. When was the last time you were convicted of sin and you repented? What would you say? And if you have nothing to say, let me ask you. Have you reached a point of perfection? Is it not possible that you have got sin in your life and maybe you're even blinded to it? If you haven't been convicted, is it because God just doesn't convict you of stuff anymore? Or it's because you become spiritually dull. Now, there are some, some, some sins. Let me just rattle some of these off. These are the, uh, I've walked a long time with Jesus type sins. You know, uh, judgmentalism that we, is easily disguised as discernment. I'm just being discerning here. Just being discerning. Um, uh, legalism, which can easily be designed or, or, or disguised as godliness. Uh, greed, which can be disguised as uh, stewardship. Selfishness, which is designed as, as, or disguised as self-preservation. Toleration of sin, which is disguised as kindness. You know what? There's a great prayer. Did you know what? God wants to answer this prayer. If you pray it sincerely and you wait on him and you keep praying this, he will answer it. You might want to quit praying it after a while. But God, would you show me my sin? Would you show me that thing that's keeping me from knowing you? I mean, did, 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 wasn't the psalmist pray this when he, when he said, see if there's any hurtful way in me? 
Would you, would you pray that prayer? And, and if, in fact, you have reduced the clutter in your life this year, if you remove the crud, and you, this is something that we don't do one time, right? It's just a continually happening thing. Then this is what, uh, what will happen. Verse 6. It says, John wore clothing, hair made of, uh, clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. We're not going to talk about his fashion statement and diet there. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I think if I had introduced Jesus, I would say, hey, look at Jesus. He's incredible and phenomenal. I don't know if I'd introduce Jesus this way. More powerful than I. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. I did this little thing. He's going to do this major thing. John does not have a bad self-image. But when you've reduced the clutter, when you've removed the crud, you know what? You're in a place where you can really see who Jesus is and who you in relationship to him are. Incredible, incredible piece of any growth strategy has to be reducing the clutter, removing the crud, and that happens on a regular basis. You know, I am not a a country western fan. I, I, I... don't think too lowly of any of y'all who are, but I don't know if it's because growing up my home, I was forced to watch Hee Haw. I don't know if it's because my I always had Johnny Cash and Loretta Lynn and Kenny Rogers and Dolly on our stereo at home. I don't know, but I have no, no room for it, actually. But Tim McGraw wrote a song several years ago that is a pretty good song. It's called Live Like You're Dying. And this is what he says. Says, uh, you know, these country western songs are always a story. So he's got a story going. And he said, I was in my early 40s with a lot of life before me. And a moment came that stopped me on a dime. I spent most of the next days looking at the x-rays and talking about the options and talking about sweet time. I asked him when it sank in that this might really be the real end. How's it hit you when you get that kind of news? Man, what you do? And he said, I went skydiving, I went Rocky Mountain climbing, I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu, and I loved deeper, and I spoke sweeter, and I gave forgiveness I'd been denying. And he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. That's an interesting phrase. He said, I was finally the husband that most of the time I wasn't, and I became a friend a friend would like to have. And all of a sudden, going fishing wasn't such an imposition. And I went three times that year that I lost my dad. Well, I finally read the good book, and I took a good, long, hard look at what I'd do if I could do it all again. And then I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. And I loved deeper, and I spoke sweeter. And I gave forgiveness I'd been denying. And he said, someday, I hope you get the chance to live like you're dying. And then the bridge it says, uh, like tomorrow, live like tomorrow was a gift and you got eternity to think about what you do with it. That's an interesting line. And what did you do with it? And what can I do with it? And what would I do with it? Skydiving, I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. And then I loved deeper and I spoke sweeter and I watched an eagle as it was flying. And he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. Let me ask you, if in fact today uh, the doctor's called, the x-rays were in, not good. There's nothing 
they could do. All the time you thought you had left. You don't. And I wish so much, young folk, I could tell you that no one dies when they're 17. It just is not so in this world. Or people don't die when they're 30 years old. Or people don't die when they're, when they're 50. You've got a lot of years left. And I don't care if you're, if you're 95. I don't believe, according to God's plan, death was ever a part of the original goal. And we all think we've got some extra time. Well, what if you realized your time is done? And you look back. How much regret would you have? Where did you spend your minutes? Collecting Janus-type clutter? That's how you spent your life. And what if God came to us this morning and he said, to the end of 2012, I'm taking you home. Your time will be done. You knew that. How would you spend your minutes? Life is just minutes. How are you going to spend them? Collecting clutter, hanging on to, to crud, join those fantasies and things that you know are just going to destroy. Or would you say, you know what? I'm going to be taking my time, my minutes, to invest in knowing my God, knowing who he is, knowing what he has for me. We need the plan to know his word, to speak it. We need the plan to have a constant consciousness of him. Well, what a challenge. We need the plan to be with him and build that relationship. And along with that, we have to make sure we're constantly taking care of the clutter, reducing it, removing the crud. 